Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's lesson. Uh, we are making our way through the book of 1 Peter, and we are in chapter 2 and verses 13 through 17. The title of our lesson today is Christian Citizenship. Let's go ahead first and, and read our uh, verses. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Now, for those of you that attend my, uh, my class or have been around my teaching, you know that I believe that every scripture in the Bible is relevant for today. Romans 15.4, Paul tells us that what was written in former times is written for our instruction so that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So it doesn't matter Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, all scripture is relevant. But let me tell you, it's not often that in the normal course of my teaching, and what I mean is I'm just going through the, through the book of the Bible teaching, in the normal course of my teaching that I come across a scripture that is as relevant to current events as our passage is today. If you turn on uh, uh, some of the, the uh, Christian talk shows, if you read Christian articles, everyone is talking about this passage. And the reason for that is, is the, of course, the COVID-19 virus and the uh, kind of the shutdown that's going uh, across the country. Uh, most churches across the country, probably 80 to 90 percent are trying to cooperate with the government and they're closing their doors to fight this virus. Other churches, though, are staying open and they, they see this as an infringement of their constitutional rights. So the question faces us. I know as a board member um, at River of Life, we sat in a room and we talked about these exact same issues. What is the proper relationship of a Christian to their government. Listen, that is a question that is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago when Peter uh, penned these words. Now, this is the question that we're going to try to answer, but to answer this question, we first need to go back in time. In fact, we need to go all the way back to A.D. 37. Now, that year in Italy, a little boy was born. And his name was Lucius Dominicius Ahenobarbus. Okay? His mother's name was Agrippina. She was known as Agrippina the Younger. And when he was 12 years old, she married a man by the name of Claudius, who just happened to be the Roman emperor. Now, Claudius adopted her son and changed his name to Nero Claudius Drusus Germanicus. The adoption and the name change was all part of his mother's plan to have him one day become emperor of Rome. Now in AD 54, when Nero was 17, just a short five years later, his mother poisoned her husband and killed him, and her son Nero was proclaimed emperor of Rome. His reign would last 14 years until the, he finally committed suicide at the age of 31. Now the first half of his reign 
wasn't too bad. He had some good counselors. He had a man named Burrus uh, of the Roman Praetorian Guard that helped him out. There was also a man named Seneca who was a famous Roman philosopher who helped him out. Uh, so the first seven years weren't too bad, but things changed very quickly. Nero, uh, to put it mildly, had some mental problems, some, some issues with paranoia, uh, and he became convinced that everybody was trying to kill him. In AD 55, uh, he had his stepbrother Britannicus killed. In AD 59, he had his own mother executed. And three years later, in AD 62, he had his first wife executed. Now, what, what makes this germane to our lesson is this. Around this time, AD 63, the apostle Peter arrives in Rome. Now, the city had already become known as Babylon. It was a, a code word among Christians to represent Rome, which was uh, the embodiment of anti-Christian power and evil. Peter is actually in Rome as he writes his first epistle. Later in chapter 5, as you get near the close, he writes this. She, talking about the church, who is at Babylon, again, the code name for Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. So he is literally writing this letter from Rome while Nero is the emperor. Now on the night of July the 19th, A.D. 64, a fire broke out in the southern part of the city. It burned for six days. They thought they had it under control for about three days, and but it reignited and it burned for three more days. Uh, it almost completely destroyed the city. Ten of the 14 wards in the city were, were completely destroyed. And rumors began to spread that Nero had started the fire. Uh, Rome was made up of a lot of older buildings, and the rumor was that he wanted to get rid of all these buildings so he could build these new buildings and, and name them after his, his self. The historian Tacitus records that in order to divert attention from this rumor that he had started the fire, Nero started a new rumor that blamed the Christians. Now, Christians were hated anyway. I, I mentioned to you in last week's lesson, The Pilgrim Life, that uh, they were sometimes known as cannibals because they got together and, and uh, uh, ate a man's flesh and drank his blood. They were known for, for being uh, practicing incest because wives would call their husbands uh, brother and, and husbands would call their wives sister. They were known as atheists because they didn't believe the emperor was divine. So it was very easy to hate Christians and see them as different and odd and, and weird. And so they became perfect scapegoats. The effect of this, of course, was horrendous. Uh, a tremendous persecution broke out among uh, Christians. They were crucified. They were sewn into animal skins and fed to wild dogs for the sport of people. They were, they were dipped in hot oil and hung on poles and lit, uh, lit a fire uh, to light up the, the night as, as torches. Just terrible, terrible things were done. Now here is what I want you to see. Peter's letter is written sometime around this period while Nero is the emperor. It was written during the rule of one of the most evil dictators to ever reign. And just as a reminder, Nero is not the only evil ruler that Peter was familiar with. You know, he knew Pilate. 
Pilate, of course, is the one that, that turned Jesus over to be crucified, that washed his hands of his blood, that had him murdered for, for no reason. Peter was very familiar with the governor Pilate. And Peter also, going back a little bit further, he knew Herod Antipas. You know, Herod Antipas is the king who had John the Baptist beheaded. He's the one in Luke 23 that put a, a purple robe on Jesus and mocked him along with his soldiers. So let's not fool ourselves into somehow thinking that Peter was just kind, kind of naive about the wicked world of politics or the, the corruption that comes with, uh, with political power. Let me tell you, Peter was more than familiar with a corrupt emperor and a corrupt king and a corrupt governor. He was very familiar with the corruption that political power can bring. See, he didn't live in a Christian nation. He lived in an evil, wicked, pagan country. And that was the world into which he wrote these words. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now here's my point. If Peter would command a Christian community to honor an emperor like Nero, to honor a governor like Pilate, to honor a king like Herod Antipas, then how much more should we honor our governor and should we honor our president? And I don't care who the president is. I, don't, I put on the screen there Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump. You can find two you like and two you don't like. It doesn't matter. How much more should we honor them? They're not a Nero. None of them are. They may endorse things that we don't like. They may promote acts in which we regard as immoral or even acts like abortion that are barbaric. But the fact is we are told to honor them. Now, let's turn to our scripture. And the first thing I want to do is put Peter's statement in a little bit of context. Now, you remember last week and the week before, if you go back to our lessons, Peter has just stated in the previous verses that Christians are to live holy lives as aliens and strangers on this earth. His point is, look, we're not permanent residents here. We're just passing through for a very short time. We're pilgrims, we're sojourners, we're aliens, we're travelers on our way to heaven. Now, if Peter had just stopped there and he hadn't said anything else, do you ever wonder what conclusions his readers would have drawn? You see, that raises the question, well, if we're, if, if we're not citizens of this world, if we're not citizens of this country, then do we have any allegiance at all to the institutions of it? Perhaps they would have concluded that we don't have any civic responsibility at all. Perhaps they might have included that we can just disregard or disobey human government at will. Or maybe we should just withdraw into our own Christian communities. But you see, Peter anticipates these conclusions, and his answer to all of them is no. You see, he counters these conclusions in verses 13 to 17 by showing how Christian citizens should relate to their government and to their leaders. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. Instead of walking through verse by verse, I'm going to give four applications or four things we can take away 
from these uh, verses. I want to look first at the purpose of government. I want to look at the meaning of submission to government. I want to look at the reason for submission to government. And then finally, I want to look at the limits of submission to government. So let's look at the first one, the purpose of government. Verses 13 and 14, let's read them again. Be subject to the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or to governors, as those sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. You see, this is the purpose of human governments. This is why God gives them to us, to punish evil and to praise good. Or let's put it another way. The purpose of human government is to promote justice and peace in society. Now, how does government do that? Well, it does that by upholding law and order. Romans 13, 4, the Apostle Paul writes this, For he, talking about the ruler, it could be a king or a governor or an emperor, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, this verse points to the power of the state to use punishment, both capital punishment and lesser punishments, to bring about justice. And one way the government does this, of course, is through the enactment and enforcement of laws. Now, don't let, we hear from time to time, we can't legislate morality. Listen, don't let anybody ever tell you that. That is precisely what government does. It legislates what is right, and it legislates what is wrong, and, and rightly so. Laws against murder are, are moral and biblical. Exodus, Exodus 20 and Romans 13. Laws against theft are moral and biblical. Again, Exodus 20 and Ephesians 4. Laws against racial discrimination, Deuteronomy 10, Acts 10. These are all moral and biblical laws. You see, I believe we should desire and promote laws that protect citizens from the deadly effects of sin. Things like pornography and prostitution and drugs and the list goes on and on. It's not going to stop these things. It's not going to completely eradicate those things, but it will restrain them. At the same time, we should desire and promote laws that protect the most vulnerable of our citizens, the handicapped, the elderly, and children. These are all good things that government uh, does. See, whether or not we should legislate right and wrong or morality, that's, that's not under debate. The real debate is, well, how far do you go? That's the debate. Which morality should we legislate? Now listen, that is a question for another day. We won't get into that today. But here is our first application of 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Government is ordained of God for the purpose of promoting justice or promoting law and order. Now, here's a question. Why would God do this? Again, God has given us government. God has given us these institutions for this purpose. Why would God do that? Because a result of that is peace and order in society. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. For why? What's the reason? Why would you urge that, Paul? 
so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, why would Paul want us to be able to live a quiet and peaceful life? Because that is good for the spread of the gospel. Let me say that again. That is good for the spread of the gospel. He goes on in verse 3 and 4 and says that very thing. This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, this is what God designed government for. The proper aim of government is to dam up the river of evil that flows from the heart of man so it does not flood the world with anarchy. You know, in the days of Noah, if you'll remember, it, it, the Bible says every thought of man's heart was evil continuously. See, government dams that up. Government restrains that. See, governments don't save. That, that's not their purpose. Their purpose is to maintain a semblance of order so that the gospel can go forth and triumph on its own power. Now, before moving on, I want to address something because I can kind of hear an objection because I have this objection. You see, this is what God designed government for. But that doesn't mean that's what government always does. You see, God designed government that way, but most of the time, it's not what presidents and kings and emperors actually do. You see, at, at the end of the day, government is made up of sinful, selfish, God-ignoring human beings, and it will always be far from perfect. And listen, we're grieved, grieved when our government doesn't enact and enforce laws that are in line with God's word. But listen, Peter's not naive. He completely understands that. Yet he still commands us to submit to government anyway, for it is still God's ordained institution. You see, the fact is God wills that there be leaders like presidents and governors. They are in power by God's appointment. The Bible even goes so far as to call them God's servant for our good. Let me tell you what we should take away from this. This should tell us that even bad government is better than no government. Even a government where we have the absence of some laws to protect some people is better than all-out anarchy. The second uh, thing that I want to take away from this passage, we looked at the purpose of government. Now let's look at the meaning of submission to government. Let's look at verse 13 again. Be subject. That word just means to submit. For the Lord's sake to every human institution or every human authority, whether it be, and he gives examples of that, the emperor or the governor. In, in other words, what he's saying here is submit to government. Now listen, some of you may not like that. For many Americans, submit is a dirty word, but I'm going to tell you, it's a favorite word of Peter. Here in chapter 2, 13, verse 18, chapter 3, verses 1, 5, 22, chapter 5, verse 5, he implies it in chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. It is a, it is a military word that means to put oneself under another in, in rank. So submission is an attitude of respect that results in obedience to Authority. Now listen, there are exceptions, of course. 
But we need to be very careful that we don't immediately run to the exception. See, sometimes that's what we do. We just, well, what about this? Or what about that? Or what about this? See, we run to the exceptions. This passage is not dealing with the exceptions. It's dealing with our normal posture. What should be our normal relation to government? And Peter said it should be submission. And I want you to note something. This passage does not teach the choosing of specific people. It doesn't say, well, if you agree with the emperor, then do this. Or if you don't agree, no. It doesn't, it doesn't go out of its way to say about certain people. It also, by the way, surprisingly sometimes, does not mandate a particular type of government. It could be a monarchy or a democracy or a dictatorship. Though he, pop, he, he just throws them all into one pot and says submit to government. He doesn't pick a particular one and says this one's good, that's bad. just says if God has ordained it, he's ordained it, you need to submit to it. You see, Peter makes no moral judgment on any particular type of government. and He makes no judgment on who happens to be emperor or even what his policies happen to be. You see, the issue here is not the government, and it's not the emperor, and it's not the governor. The issue is us. The issue is our attitude toward government in general. You see, verse 13 subordinates all submission on earth to a higher submission to God. So we submit to the laws of the land, not because uh, we're scared of the consequences if we don't. We do it because it's an act of worship to our heavenly king. Now, I want to give you a couple things. I want, to, I want to take this a little bit further. What does it mean to submit to government? Let's get, let's get practical. Number one, it means obedience to the law. The basic meaning of the word submit is to obey. We are to obey the laws of the state, and we are to obey the laws of the nation as long as they don't conflict with our higher allegiance to Jesus Christ or to our higher allegiance to God the Father. You see, government exists to limit the right to choose. Okay, I, I don't know if you understand that, but that's why government exists. It exists to limit our right to choose. They, they exist to limit our right to do anything that we want to do. And we submit to that. I mean, let, let's, here's a couple of examples. Government limits our choice to go 75 miles an hour. It, it limits our choice to not wear a seatbelt. It limits our choice to, to fish or hunt without a license. It, it limits a choice to not school our children. It says, okay, you can homeschool or you can public school or you can private school, but you can't not school. It limits our choice to not pay taxes. You don't have a choice in that. It, it limits our choice to, to smoke in restaurants or public places. The list goes on and on. That's what government does. Now, we may not agree with each and every law. But we submit for the Lord's sake. We do it because our, com our king commands it for the honor of the institution of civil government. The second thing that submission really means, if we want to get practical, is that we are to have respect for our rulers. Now let's be honest. We all know that we can submit and we can obey and we can do it with a, a, a completely rotten attitude. I don't think that's what Peter has in mind. Verse 17, honor everyone. Honor the emperor. See, and, and I know our, our, when we read things like that, immediately we run to the exceptions. Well, what if he's a scoundrel? 
What if he promotes immoral policies? What if he's corrupt? What if he's a, a Nero? You see, even if we can't respect a leader because of his personal qualities, because of his character, because of his values, we should respect his office because God put him there. Now, let's be really honest here. This isn't very American. Freedom of speech allows us to say anything we want about our rulers. We can make jokes about them, and we do. We portray them as buffoons, and we portray them sometimes as idiots. But let me tell you, we need to be very, very careful. In Titus chapter 3, Paul writes and he says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one to speak evil of no one. Listen, how much more should we be careful to promote respect for government authorities? There's a, there's a, a passage in Jude, and I, I almost put it in here, and then I took it out, but I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it. There's a passage in Jude. It's kind of hard to understand. It talks about the, it says the, the archangel Michael and Satan were disputing over Moses' body. Now, I have no idea what that means. But, but here's what's important. It says even the, the angel, uh, when he rebuked Satan, he didn't rebuke Satan directly. He said, the Lord rebuke you. The idea is, is you don't slander celestial beings. You don't slander dignitaries if you go back and, and read that. Now, if the, Michael, if the archangel, 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 Michael, if he was careful, how much more should we be careful? You see, since God ordained government authority, to despise that authority is to despise God himself. Now, I want to put a couple of real examples up here. Let's take the president. And once again, I didn't put uh, President Trump. It could be uh, Clinton, Bush, Obama. Just go. It could be the next president, whoever that may, may be. You see, it's easy to honor people you agree with. But how do we honor somebody that is so completely at odds with our values and our worldview? You see, as Christians, we have to find a way to do two things simultaneously. We're free to dislike his views. Nobody's saying you've got to like their views and their policies. And by the way, you're, if you are free to express your disagreement with them. But at the same time, we are to do that while communicating respect for him as a person. That's what Peter says, honor the king. Now that's not easy. I'm going to be honest with you. How to respect somebody that you completely disagree with. How do you do it? I'm going to give you four things. Number one, by humbling ourselves. You see, the first thing we need to do is we need to acknowledge that we're sinners, that we're in need of forgiveness from God. We're not infallible. We're not the final judge. God is. We all stand before the cross of Christ on level ground. Not, there's not one of us above the other. We all need mercy. We all need grace. We all need forgiveness. We need to remember that. Number two, we need to acknowledge God's image. That person, that president, that speaker of the house, that governor, that politician is a man or a woman created in the image of God which means they have the potential, the glorious potential, of being a child of God. And we need to remember that. Number three, you need to remember God put them there. Romans 13, 1, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, 
For there is no authority except that which is from God. The authorities that exist have been appointed from God. Listen, President Clinton was appointed by God. President Bush was appointed by God. President Obama was appointed by God. And President Trump is appointed by God. He put them there. Number four, we need to watch our language. It's okay to disagree with our rulers. But when you disagree, let the moral and social seriousness of the issues guard you from using cheap, careless, and insolent language. Now this brings up something that uh, I, I just want to point out very quickly. And I just put up here Rush Limbaugh. And, and, and it could be Rush, it could be others like him. You see, just as I had no comment on the president's politics, it's the same. I have no comment on Limbaugh's politics. His, his politics are not the point. The, the views of the person are not in play. I only have one question. Is his spirit, is his attitude, is his tone one that lines up with Scripture? Is it a spirit that honors the king? See, according to today's Scripture, these are the questions that matter, not the political views of the person. The third thing I want to talk about are good deeds. 1 Peter 2.15 says this, that by doing good, that he's talking about by submitting, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. To silence literally means to muzzle. The idea is that by, our, by seeing our good deeds, we take away any ammunition for them to slander Christ and slander God. You see, when Christians live like this, they honor the king, they submit to government, they obey the laws, it is a powerful testimony. On the other hand, if we do the opposite, if we disrespect authority, we disobey the law, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth of the pagans and it gives them ammunition to criticize God and criticize Christianity. When Israel was sent into exile in Babylon, their situation, I don't know if you realize this, was very parallel to that of Christians today. They are strangers and aliens in a foreign land. And they were looking, they, they, were, they were like, man, we're just here for a little while. We're just passing through. We're going to go back to Israel one day. We're going to go back to our home. Jeremiah prophesied this, Jeremiah 29, 4-7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, talking to the people of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare or in its peace you will find your peace. Let me tell you, that is good counsel for Christians who are exiled in this world as strangers and aliens. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, raise families. Seek and pray for the welfare of your country, the welfare of your state, the welfare of your city, the welfare of your co-workers and the families that live around you. Buy property, work to improve the schools, help out in the community, be good citizens. You see, submitting to government means that we obey the law, we respect authorities, and we do good deeds while we are here. The third thing I want to talk about today is the reason for submission to government. 1 Peter 2, 13-14 says it as clear as anything. Be subject for the Lord's sake 
to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or to governors as sent by him. If you miss that phrase in that verse, for the Lord's sake, then you miss the most important thing. You see, all other reasons are set aside. All other reasons are dismissed. We do it for him. 1 Peter 2.15, he goes on to say this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I said last week in our lesson on the pilgrim life that we don't get our bearings from culture. We don't, we don't get our bearings from TV or movies or what the latest trends are. We, we, we don't go by how we feel. We get our bearings from the will of God expressed to us in the Word of God. You see, we are His people. We are citizens of heaven. He is our King. He tells us what is right, and He tells us what is wrong. And this is His will, that we live joyful, sacrificial, humble, submissive lives so that those who ignorantly slander us in this world will finally, one day, be silenced. Finally, I want to turn to the fourth application from these verses, and that is the limits of submission to government. Verse 17, we've already read it once, let's read it again. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You see, Peter differentiates between God and the president. The president deserves honor, no matter who he, he is. But he's not God. And if it comes to a tug of war between God and government, well, we have no choice. We must follow God. If the government forces us in some way, shape, or fashion to disobey God, what do we do? Well, we appeal to the government, if possible. We live in a democracy. We should, we should take advantage of the laws. We should appeal to the government. If we have opportunity, we confront the government with its wrongdoing. But if all that fails, then we disobey the government and we take our punishment. In Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 40, they bring Peter and the apostles before the governing council. It says this, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. In other words, do not teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. And so they beat them, and they charged them again, Do not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now listen, that last piece, the, the limits of submission, can I be honest with you? I made that very short. Because I mentioned earlier, for some reason, we always run a run to the exceptions. We want to say, well, what about this? Or what about that scenario? Or what if this happened? Or what if that? Listen, I could come up with a thousand scenarios, but that's not the point. Peter didn't discuss the, the exceptions. Peter didn't go there. Peter, Peter understood that's our nature is to run to the exceptions. Peter said, no, this should be your normal. And that's what he dealt with. You see, the, the exceptions, the scenarios that I could go, that's not the point. See, the most important thing today's text does, in my mind, is it puts all of our social and political life into relation with God. See, I, we, we hear all the time, we've got a little acronym, the B-I-B-L-E, right? 
basic instruction before leaving earth. The idea sometimes, I think, is we're taught that a Bible is a book about how to get along in the world. No, the Bible is a book about how to live to God. See, I love that phrase, live to God. I wish it was mine. I wish I had made it up, but I didn't. It's the Apostle Paul's. Galatians 2.19 says this, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. See, Peter says something very similar today in verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Living as bond servants, as slaves of, of God. You see, this is the aim of our life, our social life, our business life, our political life, our church life, our personal life, to live with God in view, to live under His authority, to live on Him the same way we live on air and, and bread and water, to live for His reputation, to live for His glory. Let me tell you, if you don't get anything else from these five verses, I hope you get that. There is no part of our life that is off limits to Him. We are to live to God, even in the seemingly secular part of our lives, like government and, and politics and our relation uh, to that. That concludes our lesson for today. Uh, if I can, can I pray? Father, uh, Lord, I want to confess to you uh, in front of those that are listening that I need help in this area. I've often said things about leaders and spoken and insolent and and um, and cheap language, just just not the way I should have should have talked about them. And God, I repent of that. God, help me to set a standard. Help me not to just fall into the way everybody else that talk radio and the and the TV shows and the talk shows and all that stuff. Help me to stay above that. Help me to be a child of God. Help me to walk in Your ways, to obey Your word, to honor the King even when I don't agree with the king, to honor my leaders, to honor the governing authorities, even when I don't agree with them. Father, help me to obey your word, to obey you above everything else. Lord, I repent. And I know many of those out there listening are probably feeling the same thing, that we have not always obeyed this scripture the way, um, the way we should. And so in the days to come, Lord, help us bring this back to our remembrance, Holy Spirit. And help us to walk worthy of our Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.